Connecting AI to the human brain becomes the vehicle for that force to literally assimilate the human mind, collectively and individually. Um, I say that's what's happening. But I'm mad, so, you know, just go and make a cup of tea. Uh, but this is the idea, this grid. And the idea is that everything is connected to this grid. Now, if you're going to do that, this grid communication system has to cover every inch of the planet, bar none. What's the only way you can do that? From satellite. And here we have now Elon Musk. He's been on the Rogan show. I don't know why Rogan won't have me on when I talk about all the um, subjects that um, that he talks about and more, uh, or he you know, discusses in his interviews and more. And don't understand why RT won't have me on when I've been discussing all the stories they talk about for decades. Um, um, I was interviewed by RT, very quickly, I was interviewed by RT out of nowhere. They came along and said, we want to talk to you. So um, I talked to them uh, for about uh, two hours. They were very nice. And they said, oh, we're going to run it about two days. We're going to aim it for two days. It was two and a half months ago. Never never seen the light of day. So maybe it will one day. But uh, but you see what I mean? Um, you um, There's a line, you know, if you cross it, then um, a, a postage stamp line. Some people might have a wider postage stamp line, but there's still a line. And if you, if you don't, if, if you cross that, then we're not having him on, you know, that sort of thing. But um, what I was saying is Elon Musk, um, he's the man that said AI could be the end of humanity, if you remember. Well, he then um, created a company called Neuralink to connect the human brain to computers. And he's the one who is sending up with his SpaceX operation, the satellites that are beaming Wi-Fi and 5G back at the Earth to create the all-encompassing web on which um, AI control of humanity is dependent. And the reason that they're rolling out 5G so fast without testing, without independent, independent testing, um, and they've admitted that, they've spent no money on independent testing. The reason they're doing it is because this smart grid to work has to have at least 5G level of communication power. It's essential. So if you had independent research, some people have done it, not through the industry, but themselves, and found, oh my God, this is absolutely lethal. The reason they're not doing it officially because if people knew what 5G was and what it could do, then, I mean, people, the public as a whole, they would, um, th 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 there would be a riot. Um, and so they want to keep that from people so that um, this smart grid can happen because without 5G or higher, and, and in China, they're talking about 6G now, um, they, this smart grid can't work. So if we're bathing in Wi-Fi, 5G, microwave radiation, how lethal is it? Is it cancerous? Oh, well, yes, because you see, you've got, you've got this waveform field. And if it's in a state of balance, you are mentally and, quote, physically healthy. When it's knocked out of balance, then um, you are ill in some way. You have a dis-ease, disharmony in the field, and that will express itself in some kind of psychological or 
or bodily um, problem. And um, I talked earlier about the brain is constantly communicating and the body itself and the cells and the, all the different uh, expressions of the body are communicating with each other all the time. And cells are replenished through that communication system. If you've got something that is interfering with that communication system, it's going to go out of kilter. And when that happens, one thing that happens is that cell replacement goes out of kilter, and that's what we call cancer. Or and cell health goes out of kilter. We call it cancer. How is it being stopped then in some areas of the country? How can people take action against this? Well, the, 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 the only thing that, that people can do is to, is to research um, information about it and then pass it on to every um, person they uh, can possibly imagine. Um, you know, people say nothing I can do. Well, you know, there's phone-ins on radio stations all over the country all the time. Call in. Yes, the, 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 the usual idiot with a microphone might have a go at you, but so what? Someone having a go at you is more important than getting this out. Because one thing I've learned over 30 years, people cannot unhear something. It's so important. Um, so um, people said to me when I started coming out with all this stuff a long time ago, didn't you know people would laugh at you when you said that? And I thought, you know, I'd work that out. But the point is, if, if I feel it's valid, it will eventually be shown to be so. And if I don't say it now, because what will people think about me? It will never be shown to be so because I'll never have said it. So um, people need to chill out about whether people will have a go at them or laugh at them. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You know, we get to a point, right? We get to a point where people are connected to, uh, to AI. They have no um, individual thought or emotional process left. And, and if they had one last thought, they might think, well, yeah, it's bad, isn't it? But at least no one laughed at me, right? I mean, what does it matter? It doesn't. What matters is um, making people aware, not making people believe it. That's up to them. Making people aware of what's going on all around them. Because I know from my personal experience, when, when it, people are made aware of it from this other angle of looking at things, and we're only skipping the surface here, of course, um, it makes so much sense of the world that the official story of the world doesn't make sense. Information, valid information is very powerful. And like I say, people can go, oh, no, no, my bubble won't have that. But you can't unhear it. You can't unhear it. And eventually, as things move on and things happen, it's like, that's what that bloke said. That's what that bloke said. And and suddenly the bubble bursts and we're, we're away. And David practice is what he preaches. I said, you're right to send me a text when you're on your way up here. Don't have a phone, mate. So right there. Now, we are just setting the table right now for the main content, which is David's book, The Trigger. So if you've been enjoying this podcast so far, we are just getting warmed up. I want to just go back before we get into the nitty gritty of the day. And we've already talked about war, sets, um, creative destruction, reset centralization of power and this is linked deeply to the middle east so from post-world war ii then and post-world war one could you just give people a bit of a background on the middle east the sunny the shias and what 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 you know what's going on there that 
just just to set the table a bit more for what's happened here. Well, obviously, the the, the Middle East um, was a place where there's um, there's lots of oil, so it was always going to be focused upon because the the cult, um, as I call it, and I'll explain more about that as we go along, um, which um, expresses itself through all countries, but expresses itself massively through what we call the West. They wanted control of that um, that um, oil. But you really can't talk about the Middle East. And I have to say, you cannot talk about 9-11 without talking about Israel. And not Israel necessarily just as a country and not Jewish people as a community, but talk about the cult that created Israel and controls Israel to this day and has since created um, a vast global network of organizations um, operating out of Israel, including in America. You're not going to eat that, are you? Little spoonful. Stop my my stomach from rumbling. What is it? It's almond butter. Cashew butter. Is it? Yeah. yeah. You you don't have an allergy, do you? No. Okay. No, no. I have an allergy to looking at it. Anyway, I'm sure it's very good for you. Things that look horrible usually are. Um, but you can't, um, you can't really uh, look at the Middle East without, without looking at, at Israel and that which controls Israel. Um, and as we'll come to, um, 9-11. And, you know, there's a, there's a story which will take us through the Middle East and will take us into 9-11. And, you know, I've been um, exposing for all these decades the the web, what I call the web, global web of secret societies and semi-secret organizations, which comes out and plays out through government agencies and the banking system and all that stuff. We talked about that in the last video. Um, but there is an element of it, of an element of the web that is very, very significant to modern events and certainly significant to the Middle East and to 9-11. And it really started in the 17th century with a guy called uh, Sabbatai Zevi, who claimed to be the Jewish Messiah. And um, he created a, a following that at, at one point, according to Jewish sources, what I'm going to say now is all from Jewish sources, because um, not all Jewish people think the same. That's another myth. Um, and uh, he had a following of something like a million people, which in the um, 1600s was absolutely fantastic. Anyway, he was operating in the old Ottoman Empire, which of course included what is now um, Israel. And um, it got to the point where the the Sultan running the Ottoman Empire, the Islamic Ottoman Empire, um, wasn't having it anymore. And he said to Zevi, you convert or there's trouble basically. So Zevi converted and a lot of other people converted with him and they became known as Donma or Donme, which is a word meaning to turn. And what they did was operate within the Islamic faith outwardly as is Islamic followers, but really followers and i'm not even going to say followers of judaism because it wasn't even that and this this will become very relevant all this is in the book in great detail because 
what this cult did, and it was a, a, a an, an, an esoteric, uh, uh, you know, what we would call satanic cult, basically, is it inverted Judaism completely. Uh, just like Satanism inverts Christianity and inverts everything. It's the same thing, just different names. And so if there was a, um, a fast day in Judaism in the calendar to Sabbateanism, as it became known, um, it would be a feast day, you know. So if Judaism said this was um, wrong, then it would be encouraged in Sabbateanism. It became an absolute inversion of Judaism. Um, Zevi um, declared himself the Jewish Messiah and, uh, and then, then died. And, and then in the um, next century, along came a guy called Jacob Frank. Jacob Frank um, has been described by Jewish sources as one of the most terrifying people in Jewish history. But again, he wasn't Jewish. He was a Sabbatean because he claimed to be the reincarnation of Zabbatai um, Zevi and the reincarnation of the biblical patriarch Jacob. And he took Sabbateanism into new depths of depravity and inversion. And he, the movement became known as Sabbatean Frankism. <sighs> These donma operating in the Islamic religion while being Sabbateans, not even Jews, Sabbateans or Sabbatean Frankists, you follow that one strand of them through and eventually they become the Saudi royal family. Another Sabbatean um, called Wahhabi who was who married into the uh, uh, that that Wahhabi family married into the um, Saudi royal family, um, thanks to um, the British Empire, who brought them together. Wahhabi, a Sabbatean Frank uh, Frankist, um, was the creator of Wahhabism, the head uh, chopping, arm chopping. ISIS extremist form of Islam, which is funded and protected by the Saudi royal family. They're not Islamic. They are Sabbatean Frankists. They are part of this death cult, this inversion. And so you have Saudi Arabia running the country on death cult lines where people have their head chopped off where people have their arms chopped off where the um big time sabbatean frankist crown prince mohammed bin Salman, who was responsible for the horrific cutting up death cult ritual of uh, yamal khashoggi the uh, saudi dissident journalist um you start to understand also from this why the Saudi royal family, for a long time in the background, now more and more since uh, the crown prince came to the fore in public, are so close to Israel. 
You'd think there would be absolute opposites, wouldn't you? Because Sabbatean Frankists hiding within Judaism, because this is what happened, particularly after Jacob Frank, is they started to take the infiltration of Islam and expand it into the infiltration into the Vatican and the Roman Church and Christianity. It's where Christian Zionism comes from. Um, and to expand it into, which was not too difficult given their background, into taking over um, the Jewish community. And one of the most prominent inner core, that is, Sabbatean Frankist families, is called Rothschild. Um, and this is why um, the Rothschilds were so um, central to the creation of Israel, because Israel was created as a Sabbatean Frankist fiefdom. What they did with the Jewish community is, and this is why I've said in that book, no one needs to read that book more than the Jewish community to see how they've been stitched up. What um, they did was start to um, construct a fake history uh, to sell to the Jewish community and a fake um, a right, historic right to Palestine course, they wanted that land. Um, and they used the, um, the First World War particularly to get rid of the Ottoman Empire, which um, controlled what we now call Israel, then Palestine, as, it, as um, it's known to Arabs. Um, and um, through the Second World War, very close together, of course, they then created a situation where they had the momentum to, um, to complete the project of what they call Zionism and take that land of Israel, which they've gone on expanding um, ever since, of course, into the um, uh, officially uh, occupied Palestinian lands. Um, and as I, there's a chapter in the book called Atlantic Crossing, where I show how this Sabatine Frankist um, cult which infiltrated the Jewish community while the great majority but while outwardly appearing to be Jewish and supporting Judaism and and what they call Zionism and they they created a situation where kind of Jewishness and Zionism were, was were the same thing they're not um, and they moved in on America and they moved in on, on, on other countries, which is why America has such a vast network of Israel serving um, organizations, uh, which are massive, massive, unbelievable funders of, um, of politics in America, in America. Now, let's look at some figures here, which will kind of bring this to light. Um, the Jewish population of the world is 0.2%. A lot of people will be shocked by that. They'll say, oh no, there has to be a lot more Jewish people than that. 0.2%. The overwhelming majority are in Israel and America. The people I'm talking about who are not Jewish in the sense of the word, but 
this Sabatine Frankist cult putting on the face of being Jewish are a fraction of the 0.2%. Um, in America, even though that's the second biggest concentration of Jewish people in the world, uh, they are 2% of the population. And yet, um, and again, that Sabatean Frankist cult will be a small percentage of them. Most of them will not even know there's a cult. And that from these tiny numbers, you have this enormous, enormous control of, um, of so much, not least through um, money. Um, and when you follow that Atlantic crossing through, you see that this cult operating both out of Israel and within the United States was actually the central player in 9-11 and not 19 Arab hijackers who couldn't fly one-engine Cessnas. Before we get to that then, how does the cult fit in with Sunni versus Shia? Well, if you look at religion, and you know, this, this, this cult, I'm talking about this aspect, Sabbatean Frankism, which, which came after the 1600s and has become a real major player in uh, this web. But the web goes back further than that. And religion, again, you know, we were talking earlier about perception. Um, the idea is to control perception. So now they want to go and do it with a, the end game of technology and AI. But for a long time, and still today in vast numbers, uh, one of their greatest forms of perception control is religion. I mean, you look at um, where do most Muslims come from? Muslim families? Where do most Jewish followers of Judaism come from? Jewish families. Where do most Christians come from? Christian families. Because from the moment they were born, it was basically all they ever heard. And so it became their reality. But if you also follow religions, see, it's not just controlling perception. You must keep the target population in conflict and at war with itself. Divide and rule. Because while the target population is um, at war with itself, um, they, they are not seeing who's controlling all sides with the same hands on, on the strings. So you look at religion and you see the creation of a religion, and then you see the religion divided. Christianity went from Catholicism into uh, the Protestant version and, and many other versions now. And you had the, the Sunni-Shia division in, um, in Islam. And you've seen divisions in all these other religions. So you create a religion, which is a belief system. And what is it? It's a postage stamp. It says, you will believe this. And if you go outside of this postage stamp bubble, then you're a blasphemer. All right. And you're not of the religion. And, and so it's it, it, it's all about perception because they know that perception becomes behavior. Behavior becomes society. Uh, and uh, you see this um, everywhere you go. And uh, you, there's divisions in Judaism. There's there's divisions in, in every um, religion. And so you play religions off against each other, but you also play factions within religions as off against each other. And we have a modern version of that now which is called woke v non-woke. 
uh, woke. I love it. Obviously, um, you know, they're not teaching grammar very well in the schools these days. <laughs> I'm woke. I'll try being awake, mate. It's much better. Um, and what they've done with Trump, just a very quick aside, they wanted Trump in because they wanted a figure um, through which they could divide America. Um, it, it, Trump is a figure. And, and you know, when you read, um, you read books by Marxist manipulators, they'll tell you. Um, there's a guy called Alinsky in America uh, out of Chicago who people like Clinton and, and, um, and uh, Nancy Pelosi were kind of followers of. And um, he talked about the fact that when you, when you basically want to divide a society, um, don't go for kind of gray, faceless corporations. Pick an individual. Focus it all on an individual. Make everything his fault, her fault. And that's what they've done with Trump. They brought him up so he can become this divisive figure. And what's happened is the Democratic Party has been driven further that way as a result of Trump. And they've created, if not physical, then certainly verbal civil war in America. This is, this is how it's done. So dividing religions into factions is just par for the course. Dividing politics into factions is just the way they work. They want us divided so that um, we won't come together in unity and see what the game really is and in the unity that it can be dealt with. Divide and conquer, that has been used and applied for centuries. And it's still, you know, like David's described, still strongly used today.